The Process, a podcast about creativity and experimental music. In the world of experimental music, outcomes and accolades for creators can be uncertain and at times seem far and few between. Therefore, creators and practitioners of experimental music must embrace the one thing they will always have complete control over, the process. This podcast aims to understand this creative process by listening to new works and discussing them with their creators. Each episode focuses on one creator and their music. Understanding how and why they create can inform aspiring creatives and help audiences better understand and navigate experimental music. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of experimental music, creativity, and the human need to find purpose in their world and lives. This is The Process. Ensemble is a Boston-based music group founded by composer Bo Kenningsmark and soprano vocalists Rose Hegley and Gillian Corelli. From its conception to the current day, Into the Light has collaborated with a myriad of innovative composers and performers and continues to expand outwards. The ensemble forms its unique multi-genre repertoire by taking inspiration from many backgrounds of creative music. This encompasses, most strongly, contemporary vocal chamber music, indie classical, and singer-songwriter, among others. Into the Light has a deep commitment to new composition and collaboration, as well as a continuous desire to influence the community in a positive light. On today's episode, we listen to Out of Touch from the debut EP by Into the Light. Why doesn't everyone just quickly just say your name and say your role in this creative project? My name is Bo, and I am the composer for the group and uh, sort of facilitate a lot of planning for, for events and, and performances. Hi, I'm Jillian. Um, I sing soprano with Rose. Um, we're a duo, and um, 
I also play keys as well for whenever we need a keys player uh, for the group. And I love to just take part in this group in any way that I can, whether it be helping us book shows, um, just organizing things, sending out administrative stuff for the group. Um, and of course, singing with the group is first and foremost a joy. Hi, I'm Rose. I contribute vocals to Into the Light Ensemble alongside Jillian. And similarly to Jillian, my role is to support Bo and the group as much as possible. And I do a lot of the social media stuff for Into the Light and also help with coordinating booking of shows. So where does the creative process begin? I think typically there would be some kind of event in sight uh, that maybe would be through one of our institutions uh, that we would uh, sort of create our own ensemble for. And um, it might be a, a new music concert that I would write a piece for and be able to invite, let's say, Rose and or Jillian. That sort of began to grow more into uh, Rose and Jillian and I beginning to kind of create more of our own projects, um, kind of taking the initiative more there with some of the more recent work we've done, like with the EP. Jillian, where do you sort of join the creative process and, and then what's sort of your role once you're, you're, you're part of that? So usually Bo will tell, um, will tell Rose and I and everyone in the group, all right, here's this piece and super excited mm -hmm. about it. Sometimes it's a draft. It's often written, handwritten beautifully. Um, oh, wow. And Bo has beautiful, um, beautiful handwriting for scoring. And um, usually we revise it, almost not revise it, I'd say. Usually we might tweak it together. We might say, oh, maybe we should um, place the first syllable on this. Um, no, maybe just like small little things like that to make things effective for each of our individual voices, which is one thing I love so much about this group is that Bo and Rose and I are super just in tune to each other in terms of our own individual voices, our own different vocal anatomies, and what we can do in order to let our individuality shine as um, individual musicians and vocalists, which I really, really love. I definitely um, i am super excited whenever Bo sends out some music. And then, you know, as we mull it over, we decide, all right, this is what we're going to do. And then we start rehearsing it. And I know that rehearsals have been uh, definitely put a damper on this past year, unfortunately, sure. but we've been yeah. really diligent about meeting once a week. We've been really diligent about, um, you know, recording separately um, and meeting about our recording process and then often doing uh, outdoor rehearsals, very spaced out um, in order to just meet uh, whenever we have a big performance coming up. So usually the creative process, it's a collaborative process when um, Bo sends out manuscripts to Rose and I and everyone else in the ensemble, which is something that I truly cherish about our collaboration. It's, it's a truly collaborative experience. Fantastic. And, and Rose, how do you fit into this a process as well? Is it, is it similar to Jillian or... Jillian stated so much of that super beautifully. So fundamentally, our roles, I feel, are co are co-interpreters of Bo's music. Great. But as interpreters, I would argue that we are also co-composers because mm -hmm. 
I mean, you can't really have a score if you don't have performers actually bringing it to life. Absolutely. So when I get a score, typically I sing through it. I think about the meaning of the words that I'm singing. And then I might go back. I might tell Bo and Jillian, oh, this feels a little strange in my voice. How about we tweak this? How about maybe we change this rhythm to make it a little bit shorter? And so I think with that process, both Jillian and I actually, I consider us co-composers of the works. I mean, of course, it's Bo's music. He's putting it out there. But there's a lot of space and room for collaboration. And I would say that collaboration is a huge part of Into the Light's creative process and something that brings all of us a lot of joy. So um, there's a lot of back and forth. There's a lot of collaboration, and that's fantastic. Um, when do you know something is done? The short answer is never. A lot of composers would identify with that on the one hand of kind of having a, an attachment to something you've worked very, presumably very hard on. And, you know, then you have to kind of expose it in front of people. And then immediately one thinks, oh, no, I, gotta, I should change this or that should be different. Or, you know, um, sure. they're not doing this thing the way I thought they would. Well, you mentioned the recording process. So, uh, Jillian, as a performer and as a collaborator, what is your take on the recording process? Like, how, how how do you feel as a performer, specifically on this project? How how was that recording process? I think as um, a classically based vocal per performer, um, I was very new to recording, I'd say a couple years ago, and I was really foreign to the whole concept. I know that I had done some things um, with like churches, liturgical music over recording, but never really anything performance-based, especially nothing like a produced EP. So um, over, especially over 2020 with the limited, um, you know, interactions we have with each other, we always have to resort to recording. So I learned how to use a lot of music technology um, in 2020 and I became accustomed to it for my own projects. And also it was really helpful with Into the Light as well. So when we got into the studio, I wasn't necessarily a stranger. Rose and I also collaborated on some Berkeley silent film orchestras um, recording as well. So that also helped me get me acclimated to the studio. So we weren't necessarily strangers to that environment, but definitely I consider myself a performer first and then a recording artist second. But I feel like that's changing, especially with this experience that we had in Brooklyn with uh, Warren Bo's brother. It was phenomenal to be able to get in the space and really just take in the music and collaborate with each other and just be in that space together over a period of three days and really just focus in and hone in. Whereas in a performance setting, I feel like it's a very brief moment in time that you get to share with so many people. But I feel like with a recording, you can craft something. You have a little more space to really craft and tinker and polish this product and then share the finished product with an audience for, you know, a very, very long time, which is such a joy in itself to see. So I think with this recording process, it was just like a beautiful eye-opening experience that I definitely want to partake in more of. Yeah, you know, sometimes people too talk about the idea that you just mentioned that they're like, this is what audiences will hear for like ever <laughs> or for a very, you know, this will be the performance that's known. And for some people that's extremely crippling, like just like, oh, this has to be the take, you know? Um, but I've never, I've never looked at it that way too, that it is, it's a longer, deeper dive into a piece and to music. 
um, in that kind of longer recording process. So, Rose, how, how did you navigate all the technology and um, being a performer, but, you know, you're also, you know, promoting social media for the band and, you know, you're doing a lot of things with technology. So in the recording process and just in general, how did you navigate all this kind of pandemic era technology that's involved in the process? Very similarly to Jillian, it was a very big learning curve for me because in classical music performance, they don't really teach you any of that as part of the curriculum. And I really hope that now throughout the pandemic and post pandemic that recording will be a necessary part of every classical music curriculum everywhere. It's, it's so, so, so important. I was very lucky that in recording at home for both for Into the Light projects, we did some performances, as Bo mentioned, in April and May of last year, some earlier iterations of the songs in the EP. I was able to, I mean, I have this microphone here, and my fiance is a music technologist oh, currently doing his PhD at MIT. Oh, okay. <laughs> and so he was amazing music, yeah. in helping me get started mm -hmm. and helping me to feel a lot less intimidated by the recording process in general and just doing it more and more both for into the light and other projects i gained a lot of comfort with it and similarly to what jillian said i really started to examine the purposes behind an ep versus a live performance yeah. and i mean i feel like they're they're so different as we've talked about an ep it's very much this focused product and it's i feel like its purpose is to be more polished mm -hmm than a live performance. It's something that you go back to and listen to. Things like tuning of vocals and stuff, that's that's normal and natural and it's not something to be ashamed of. Yeah. Whereas in classical music, it's like, oh, if you're out of tune, <laughs> then sing it well, again. then you don't yeah. have technique. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. But, yeah. but for a live performance, there is that element of, of imperfection. And as you said, Doug, it can be a little bit intimidating having this thing that's going to live on in perpetuity. But yeah. I think as humans, we're all constantly growing and changing. And I think audiences understand that artists are growing throughout time and that their earlier work will feel and look different than their later work. And that's okay. It's just part of a progression of being a human being. Speaking of recordings and the EP, we've been talking a little bit about it. Uh, we heard a little bit of it at the uh, head here of the podcast. We listened to the uh, initial track of the EP, Out of Touch. So, uh, Bo, maybe you could just tell us a little bit about Out of Touch, uh, uh, who we're hearing, what we're hearing, the forces. I know on some of the other tracks on the EP, there's other instruments, including flute and piano. Who and what are we hearing on this piece? And maybe how maybe you could even just talk about the impetus for the EP. This was the first piece of music that I drafted once uh, all schools and then businesses and everything were starting to close last March. So I said, I'm going to take 
every bit of that energy right now. And I'm going to write down everything that's going in my mind every day now, because every day is changing so ridiculously rapidly. No one has any clue what's going on. I want to capture that on paper somehow. So this was the first one where it was just like, I just wanted to do a duet for Rose and Jillian in particular, because I knew I was just going to be very sad. I was not, it was going to be against the rules to mm-hmm. see each other for quite some time, probably. And um, I wanted to just kind of write some kind of lament, just two part, two voices, you know, out of touch. The the title means, you know, six feet apart. Um, so not able to be together anymore. Um, and then also there's a musically, there's a distancing of intervals of a sixth or more a lot of the time in the parts. So I'm trying to kind of um, tie, you know, tie that in. Uh, Jillian, one thing I noticed uh, in your vocal part, it begins sort of plain vocal. And then at one point, Jillian, you really soar into this like bel canto, big vibrato type thing. And um, that wasn't throughout. And it was at a specific part in the piece. So can you maybe talk a little bit about was that, you know, directions from Bo in the in the score or was that something you interpreted in the recording process? I think that it's something that Bo, Rose and I all talked about, interpreted and really just sat with for a while. We often talk about vocal timbre and color and um, what type of vocal color we want to convey. I think that um, it's in those ascending lines, probably towards the end that you're talking about when I go to more of a bel canto free vibrato style. And I think that's where the text shifts to more that um, we will find a way. There's um, a shift in the meaning of the text and um, of the what we're trying to convey. So I think that's something that we all talked about um, before the recording process and it's the recording process and it's something that we discovered and played with more as we were recording. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, uh, Rose, uh, you know, uh, Jillian mentioned ending on a high note or a positive note, but it literally was a very high, there were some very high notes that you were singing towards the end there. Uh, Very beautiful, bright uh, and soaring sort of plain tone. What was that end part for you vocally and then contextually within the piece? So the ending, to me, it's this revelation. It's a sense of hopefulness. I mean, I feel like the intervals start to get a little bit closer towards the end, representing that the distances are finally starting to be traversed and thinking even about our own journeys in the pandemic. So we started off feeling very, very far apart. And then by the time summer came around and cases started going down in Massachusetts, we were able to conceive of actually being together in the same space. And I feel like the piece is very representative of our individual journeys throughout this process, but also our collective experience of the pandemic itself. Um, From a vocal standpoint, I chose to use a much straighter tone throughout the whole thing, because sometimes I find when multiple voices vibrate at once, um, (laughs) there there could be a lot of beating and it kind of means that the pitch is not fully maintained. So I thought that actually letting Jillian have that beautiful freedom, but then be this light halo on top i thought that was it was an effective choice and again as an ensemble we really have to think musically how can we support each other and how can we ensure that the piece is coming across authentically and how can we ensure that all of us are expressing both ourselves as individuals but the ensemble's goals as a collective and the pieces meeting in a way that's most authentic and i think we truly did that with out of touch I'm 
I feel like there's lots of ways an artist can starve. I feel like financially people think that, okay, financially, oh, the unsuccessful artist, you know, um, you know, living in a small, tiny studio apartment, like barely making ends meet. Like, I feel like that's the stereotype, but I see so many artists who are starving in the way that they are, their voices are stifled. They can't create the art that they want to make. Sometimes they don't have the um, proper setting or a safe space in order to um, utilize um, what they want to say and say effectively. Um, oftentimes I see people don't have the tools or the right support in order to um, create and have that type of creative output that they desire. And I feel like there's so many different ways that an artist can starve. Um, it's not just financially, which I think is the stereotype here, but um, I see so many people, especially now struggling with um, venues being closed, with uh, not only financial ruin, but also with um, opportunities being lost and milestones being lost. And um, in that loss, I think it's beautiful how we've all like chosen to come together and overcome, but at the same time, acknowledging that in a way, um, during this time of pandemic, we are all a bit starving in the way that we cannot create in the way that we used to. And acknowledging all of these different ways in which an artist can starve is, you know, something to be considered. Yeah, I was going to maybe add to that point and say that I think something maybe is, is wrong if an artist is not at least hungry. <laughs> you would think, you know, that this person is is after something and really cares a lot about what it is that they are after. So there's a hunger to starving kind of nature to that that I think is actually good because it relates to just being kind of relentlessly ambitious to whatever your goals are. I think that the toughest part about growth is battling that inner critic inside of your own head. As an artist, it's so important to really think about how that voice got there to begin with and tapping into creative practice, regardless of whether it's financially successful or not. And honestly, addressing that voice in your own head, once you know how to work with the voice and work with the critic, instead of letting the critic prevent you from doing anything, that's where the freedom comes in. Well, this has been fantastic. Um, thanks so much to all of you for uh, coming and talking to me today. Um, it's just really inspiring. Like I said, I really enjoyed the EP. Um, I found it very positive and, and very kind of important uh, during this time. Before I let you go, where can we find out more about Into the Light, the ensemble, upcoming events, and wh where can we go to find out more about y'all? You can find us on, um, we have an Instagram page, Into the Light Ensemble, at Into the Light Ensemble specifically. We have a Facebook page, The Into the Light Ensemble. We are also featured on Bo's personal website. Bo, I believe it's bokenigsmart.com. And then we also have a Bandcamp page, SoundCloud page, Spotify. On Bandcamp, no, on Spotify and Apple Music, search for Bo Kenigsmark. We're under Bo's name on those specific platforms and you can listen to our EP there. Thanks to Bo, Jillian, and Rose of Into the Light. If you enjoyed this episode, check out other episodes in the series. And as always, like, subscribe, 
or leave a comment on your preferred podcasting app. I'm Dr. Doug Bielmeyer, and this has been The Process.